0: Welcome, welcome, welcome to Chromatic Distortion with Corey Caesar. What's going on, you beautiful, beautiful people? This is Chromatic Distortion with your host, like always. I'm beautiful too, guys. Corey Caesar. This is part two of the Serial Killer Edition, Leonard Lake and Charles Ng. If you have not listened to part one, I recommend going back and listening, just so you kind of know what we're talking about here. Um, Just a little quick. Real quick synopsis so you guys can remember. If you had listened to one, we had a little uh, shoplifting incident where an Asian dude was stealing a vice. He fled. This other uh, bearded man stayed. Subsequently, he was arrested, gave the name, took some cyanide, killed himself. They searched this car, led him to... A cabin in a bunker. Found some bodies. Found some tapes. And found his accomplice. Charles Ng. To be involved. And we left off where they were. Finishing their search. Where they found everything. And had put out a warrant. To a one. Charles Cheetah Ng. For 12 Murders that they could prove. And those victims were, once again, Kathy Allen, her boyfriend Michael Carroll, Robin Scott Stapley, Randy Johnson, Charles the Fat Man Gunna, Donald Lake, Paul Cosner, Brenda O'Connor, Lonnie Bond Sr., Lonnie Bond Jr., Harvey Dubbs. Deborah Dubs, and Sean Dubs. Now, if you remember part one, while investigators were unearthing those grisly secrets at the Willsleyville compound, the FBI was gathering additional information themselves and mainly on one of the people they believe were responsible for that carnage, Charles Ng. They're trying to find out where he go- where he was going. Remember he had taken a flight from San Francisco to Shatown. Now they learned that Ng had been born in Hong Kong on December 24, 1961. He was actually the son of a wealthy businessman. He was given every opportunity life could afford. But little Charlie developed a little rebellious streak at a young age and was expelled from pretty much every school he was, he was sent to. Now, anxious for his son to change his ways, he sent him to a boarding school across the pond, Well, what we consider across the pond, in Yorkshire, England, where he was actually under the protection and supervision of his uncle, who was a teacher at that school. But after a short time at this new school, Klepto fucking Charlie was caught stealing from other students, as well as a local department store, and was once again expelled. This dude just cannot keep his hands off shit. This dude just wants to steal shit. They don't even—they don't even know these murders take place. They don't even know that any of this shit doesn't even—they don't know anything about none of this shit. If Klepto fucking Charlie isn't stealing vices and shit. So after he was expelled from this school, he returned to Hong Kong until at the age of 18, obtained a student visa to study in the U.S. and attend Notre Dame College in Belmont, California, not the Notre Dame College here by us. He dropped out just one semester later. And in October 1979, Homie was actually charged in relation to a hit-and-run accident. Hit someone, took off. He was later convicted in order to pay damages. Now, this is the 80s. So if you guys aren't familiar, back in the day, and I'm sure they still do it a little bit today, but not, not it's definitely not near as prevalent, if, if happening at all. There was an option a lot of times if you got in trouble with the law. And that was go to prison, serve your time, or enlist in the military. So Charles Ying, I believe, decided to enlist in the Marines. Even though, if you remember, he was born in Hong Kong, he wasn't an American citizen. But he listed Blooming, Bloomingfield, Indiana as his place of birth. So do got into the Marines... With some false identity. By 1981. Two years into his service almost. Ng had been promoted to rank of Lance Corporal. But his military career ended shortly after. When he and three accomplices. You guessed it. Stole some military weapons. From an armory on a marine base in Hawaii we touched on that a little bit in part one. A month later, he was arrested by the military police and locked up. Within days of that incarceration, remember, he escaped and made his way to California where he met up with Leonard Lake. Just walked away, if you remember part one. Now, one story suggests that the two met as a result of An ad that Lake had placed. In a survivalist magazine. But that information has never been verified. And most people believe. That they were met through a mutual friend. That's the consensus. So not long after he moved. In with Lake and his wife. Was when that FBI. Remember from part one. Came and arrested them. For weapons offenses. Which is. When Charles Ing went and spent two and a half years in Levingsworth. if because that's where we kind of we're doing both these stories, kind of they're they're happening. We're giving a little background now. Remember, he went to. This is when Charles Ing went to Levingsworth. two and a half years. Spent two and a half years. Charles Ing got bailed out by the Fat Man Gunner, if you remember that thirty Gs, and became a fugitive. Didn't show up for court. Didn't want to go to jail. Went up to that cabin to live. So that's what led to that, was this FBI um, raid where they arrested him for those weapon offenses. Now, following his re- release from Leavenworth, he spent about two and a half years there in June 1984, is when Ing returned to California and moved in to that Willsleyville cabin with Lake. Now, realistically, Ing should have been deported following his release from Leavenworth. But crazy enough... <laughs> Dude, the Marine Corps was still unaware that he was not an American citizen. Think about that. Dude hits somebody, hit and run, gets charged under, I would assume, a fake identity there, goes to the Marines, enlists, fake identity, becomes Lance Corporal, fake identity, steals some weapons, they arrest him, still don't know who he really is, walks away and becomes AWOL, dips out, flies to California, the FBI gets involved. They're the FBI. They're the Federal Bureau of Investigation. That's all them fuckers do is investigate shit. They came down and swarmed them and, like, hey man, we're bringing you back for these weapon charges. Guess what? Still don't know who you are. Still don't know. Who the real you is. We still think you. An American citizen of some sort. That he spends two years in Leavenworth. Two years in Leavenworth. Look up Leavenworth. That's not no cupcake uh, jail. He spent two and a half years there. The government still doesn't know. That's a military prison. They still don't know. Who this dude is. And then he basically meets up. Goes right back to Leonard Lake. And the FBI actually estimates that their kidnapping and killing spree started within only one month of this reunion. Because in July 1984, Donald Gouletti, a San Francisco disc jockey, and his roommate Richard Caraza, were shot by an Asian man who broke into their apartment and robbed them. Now, Guletti died in the attack, but Caraza survived and would later identify Charles Ng as his attacker. And that pistola used in the attack was found at the Wisleyville site. Gradually, the FBI were successful in tracing Ng's movements after leaving San Francisco finally. On the day that Carolyn Belaz had driven him to the airport, remember she had taken him to the airport the day of the vice stealing. She's the one that told him the the alias, Mike Komodo. That's how they started this trace. He was seen boarding that American Airlines flight headed to Chicago. On his arrival, he booked into that Chateau Hotel under the name Mike Komodo, before checking out four days later. So he spent four days up here in Chi-Town. After that, he met up with an unidentified friend and traveled to Detroit before crossing the border into Canada alone. So he went up right right through the bridge right there in Detroit River. You cross that Detroit River. You go right into Windsor, Ontario. Windsor, Canada. We used to go up there all the time. Uh, When we were 19, because you can be 19 and you can drink and gamble at the casino in Canada at 19. Back then, all you needed was was, uh, a driver's license. And nowadays, you need a passport to get into Canada, because the rules are a little bit more stingy. So they did a search of the FBI, did a search of his apartment, which revealed a cache of weapons... And properly allegedly belonging to the victims, those twelve victims, as well as a pay slip from the Dennis Moving Company. And if you remember, they found a shirt uh, buried in a gravesite that had Dennis Moving Company embroidered on it. So he killed someone from Dennis Moving Company. The FBI at the same time compiled the dossier on his other his other murder buddy. Leonard Lake, who hadn't had such a privileged upbringing that Ing did. He was born in San Francisco on October 29, 1945, to some parents who fought a lot. They also displayed a lot of sexual behavior in front of them. Now, his birth did nothing to ease any of these domestic conflicts, And was sent to live with various relatives until at the age of six he found a permanent home with his grandparents now according to statements taken from his friends and relatives Lake never really was able to come to terms with the feelings of rejection and abandonment mostly from his mother at the age of 19 Lake himself left home and enlisted in the Marines, where he was actually trained as a radar operator. He was even sent to Da Nang in Vietnam. Now, according to his medical records, Lake was hospitalized during his, for, uh, his first tour for exhibiting incipient psychotic reactions. So he was going a little psychotic. But obviously his superiors did not consider his condition serious as he was treated and returned to his unit to finish this first tour. And then even after that, he was sent on a second tour, which only lasted a few short months before Lake was deemed to be suffering from an unspecified medical problem, which we would assume, you know, assume is psychotic. And he was then returned to El Toro Marine Base in Orange County. But in all, he did. He served seven years, earning the Vietnam Service Medal, a Vietnam uh, Campaign Medal, and two other medals for good conduct. He was later discharged on medical grounds and went to live in San Jose, California. Now, shortly after this release, he entered the Oakland VA, where he was treated for more psychological problems. They released him, and he briefly attempted his hand at college himself at San Jose State University. Five years after he left the military is when he met Claire Lynn Belez, his ex-wife, who I believe was very involved, if you remember from part one. At, he met her at a Renaissance Fair in Marin County, where he ran a stall, you know, like at a fair. Now you guys ready for this? This stall he charged visitors to have their picture taken with with a goat. No, that's all right. It's a goat. Goats are cute. Now, I like goats. They they jump. Some of them even faint. They laugh a little bit. But this goat he doctored up to look like a unicorn. <laughs> so you had to pay this guy to sit next to this goofy-looking goat, dressed up like a unicorn. And in 1981, shortly after they met, Lake and Lynn Belaz were married, and they moved into a commune located in Philo, Mendocino County, Northern California. They lived in a sprawling ranch that Leonard actually called Alibi Run. And dude grew marijuana, allegedly. A little bit of that marijuana. According to his friends, this was about the time that Lake became pretty delusional and converted his ranch into that survivalist enclosure and stocked it with weapons and supplies to ward off a quote-unquote siege that he believed was coming. Remember, he Remember those tapes and diary they found? He believed that there was... That the the human species basically was going to be wiped out. And he was going to build all these... Little fucking hostage bunkers... All across the country. Where he was going to get his M ladies. Remember those 21 ladies that were on the board that I believed were going to be these 21 victims. And he was going to put sex slaves in each one of them. And he was going to literally repopulate the world that's how delusional this dude was repopulate the world you ain't repopulating shit homie you probably got a low sperm count so now we're 34 days basically into this worldwide manhunt for Charles Ng so 34 days in now they have all this information on these two dudes He's basically considered in the world right now, the number one fugitive in the world, and they're looking for him everywhere. They have people stationed at all four of those places they thought he could be. If you remember part one, they thought he was going to be in Canada. So now they're really looking at Canada because now they, they, they've, after 34 days, they know he's in Canada. They were sitting on a sister's house. He never showed up. And again, homies, he's for shoplifting. After 34 days, leads to his despot demise, just as it had for Leonard Lake's. And on Saturday, July sixth, nineteen eighty-five, two security guards in a Hudson Bay store in Calgary approached Homie after he'd attempted to, you guessed it, leave the store with sh- several grocery items in a backpack. When they challenged him, Ng drew a gun and threatened him. There was a little scuffle. and One of the officers was actually shot in the hand before Ng was overpowered and taken into custody. He was later charged with robbery, attempted robbery, possession of a firearm, and attempted murder. As Charles Ng prepared to face these courts, news of his arrest reached the Calaveras Task Force which was led by remember the Sheriff Ballard Miss Ballard who did the initial search but unfortunately that elation was kind of dispelled when John Cosby no relation to Bill Cosby the Quaalude attacker probably do an episode on him This John Cosby was the Canadian justice minister. He announced, under the terms of a 1976 extradition treaty with the United States, he was going to refuse the request for Ing's extradition. As Canada, having abolished capital punishment, would not release any prisoner charged with a capital crime that carried the death penalty. They're basically saying we got rid of the death penalty. If someone in the United States commits a crime that you're going to charge as a capital punishment where they could face the death penalty, we're not extraditing them. Sorry. So, unfortunately, they couldn't do anything about it at the time. What they could do was send two San Francisco detectives to interview Ying in that Calgary jail cell. And they did. He basically told them it was Lake who was responsible for basically all all of the Willesleyville killings, but did admit, you know, to helping dispose of Paul Cosner's body. Now, following this interview, because he kind of basically just admitted, hey, I, I am kind of involved, the U.S. Justice Department made a renewed attempt to have Ian extradited, but Canada authorities refused. Basically, they were also like, no, uh treaty... And two, we're about to bring Ying to trial ourselves for offenses committed on Canadian soil. So they did. They tried him, and they convicted him on the Calgary shoplifting and assault charges and only sentenced him to four and a half years in prison. Pulled out a gun, shot a dude, four and a half years. Canada. So as Ng prepared to serve his sentence the United States Justice Department began what would become a very long and protracted battle to get dude extradited. The battle lasted like six years, guys. Now, during this period, the Asian and Little Charlie came out, and Ink spent most of his time studying American law, mainly how to delay and stall trials and extraditions because they had to have... Uh, court hearings to try to get this dude extradited. So during these extradition proceedings, evidence was tabled that Ng had drawn several cartoons, which, according to U.S. attorneys, showed details of the Wesleyville killings that only someone with an intimate knowledge of these kill- killings could produce. He was giving them to basically this dude, his, his not a cellmate, it was the guy next to him in the cell, he was giving him these cartoons and telling this dude about these killings that he was taking place in. Almost like a brag. And crazy enough, this dude was the prosecution star witness. I don't really touch on it, so I can tell you. He was their star witness originally. He was getting set to come in to testify. And dude ended up in a car accident and was killed. Conspiracy theory. So after dozens of appeals, because you know, they're trying to like, come on, man, we want we want this dude extradited. So they're appealing the Canadian ruling basically of not extraditing him. So there were dozens of these, dozens of these rounds of hearings, dozens of these appeals, dozens of these denials. The Canadian government finally agreed to the Californian's government their request to extradite. And they basically, they stated, they didn't want Canada to become a safe haven for America's serial killers by making it a safe haven from extradition. You guys gotta remember this was the 80s when serial killing was hot as fuck. There were a lot of serial killers in the 80s. The 80s were fucking nutty. So Canadian authorities released him now on September 26, 1991, which is six years after they discovered the Willesleyville compound and bunker, torture bunker. Now, within minutes of his release, Ng was flown to McClellan Air Force Base where he was transferred to Folsom Prison. Shout out to Johnny Cash, boy. And he went to Folsom Prison to await his trial. Now, what followed next were the most drawn-out, costly criminal proceedings in U.S. criminal history, even outstripping the infamous O.J. Simpson case. Ng used every point of law that he had and his uh, string of attorneys could muster to delay trial proceedings against him. Now, the site for this trial was to be San Andreas. that was before GTA was a thing, guys. Grand Theft Auto. But Ng constantly filed actions against the state of California. This was part of those delay tactics. He was making formal complaints on matters that were just all over the board. They were ranging from poor treatment and bad food to the claim that he was forced to take medication for motion sickness during the 50-mile trip to the courthouse, which he claimed then made him drowsy And unable to take part in pretrial proceedings. He sued the state over his temporary detainment at Folsom Prison, where he was caught hiding maps, fake IDs, and other escape paraphernalia, and filed challenges against four of the judges assigned to his case. Multiple judges, guys. He was getting them all kicked out, filing. Appeal after appeal. Motion after motion. He lodged a long series of complaints. Regarding the strength of his eyeglasses. Can't read. If he can't read. He can't defend himself. He can't read the case. And his right to practice. Believe it or not. Origami in his jail cell. Filed a motion. Chinese guys. Origami. Part of my culture. I need a full paper. Ing went through a total of 10 attorneys. He would dismiss them at random intervals and later even filed a $1 million malpractice suit against them for incompetence. At one stage, he filed a motion with the San Andreas Court applying for the right to represent himself. And then as that started getting forward, He withdrew it, obviously, to get some more time. Now, these delaying tactics continued as Ng's attorney obviously applied to have the trial moved to Orange County as they believed that their client would not receive a fair, uh, fair trial in San Andreas. In support of this motion, his attorneys tabled an independent survey Indicating that 95% of the residents of Calaveras County already considered Charles Ng guilty of the Wisleyville murders. Now, remember, guys, people don't hear about shit like they used to, or uh, t- um, today like they used to. Okay, you didn't hear about shit very often. This was a national story. There were helicopters flying over this compound where they were searching it. It was the biggest news story worldwide. There were. It was broadcast everywhere. So everybody knew about this. Calaveras, Calaveras County was where all this shit started. It's where he had abducted that fa- that first family, the Dubs family. It's where they were murdered. It's where Paul Cosner was from. So they considered this dude guilty already. They had all the information. They knew about all these grisly facts. He was he was guilty. He was um he was Nancy Grace, if you will. I fucking hate Nancy Grace. Nancy Grace can fix everyone um, before anything. But these dudes were guilty. So these and other motions were brought to California's Supreme Court no less. And no less than five times. Until finally, on April 8th, 1994, so now we're what? We're three years after they extradited him? Three years after the extradited him. He spent six years in Canada. Now we're at three more years nine years, a San Andreas judge finally was like, fuck it. And he upheld the motion and ordered the trial moved to Santa Ana in Orange County. He's like, I'm tired of dealing with this shit. You know what? You want it moved? Fuck it. Let's move it. We ain't got no time for this no more. It's nine fucking years, guys. It's nine fucking years. Now, this action, unfortunately, though, caused further delays when Orange County They objected to the order on the grounds that the county was virtually bankrupt. Orange County bankrupt. Orange County's rich. Orange County was bankrupt. And unable to bear the cost of such a trial. The issue was eventually resolved when the state of California was then like, fuck it. We need this shit over. It's nine years. Just like fucking San Andreas. Like, fuck it too. And they agreed to pay any cost and cures. California's just like, we're going to pay for it. Let's just do it. Now, more years of legal wrangling ensued as Ng changed these ten t- attorneys because, in turn, they had to ask for further adjournments to prepare their case. Every time you get a new uh, lawyer, they need time to prepare the case. You can't just say, okay, well, you got to just go and running. You don't know any of the evidence, but you just got, you know, you got to keep on running. At one point during the proceedings, Ing was actually housed in a small cage between his appearances and was considered highly dangerous. The cage was later removed when a federal uh, magistrate described it as barbarous. Even before the actual trial began, Ing had appeared before a staggering six different judges. In a case that had amassed over six tons, that's 12,000 pounds of evidence and other legal documents at a cost already approaching $10 million in 1990. I think we're in 1995 right now. So now three more years in October 1998 after 13 years of delays and extended legal arguments the trial of Charles Cheetah Ng finally began six years in Canada delayed couldn't get him extradited and then along what seven more years in American soil before they even get to fucking trial he delays them for seven years that's crazy so for the next few months, the jury, the media, and the families and friends of the victims, those 12 victims that they could prove, heard state prosecutor Charlene Hanaka relate how Leonard Lake and Charles Ng had selected and kidnapped their victims before taking them to the Wisleyville site where they sadistically tortured, raped, and murdered them. To support the state's case, Hanaka submitted those videos that were found at the site that clearly showed Ing and Lake torturing and abusing Kathy Allen and Brenda O'Connor. Evidence including stolen property and photographs were also tabled, further linking both men to those victims. Hanaka also attempted to submit excerpts from Lake's diaries as evidence But unfortunately, Judge John J. Ryan refused to admit them, ruling that most of the material submitted bore bore no relevance to the case, which I think is bullshit. I get it. Charles Eng really wasn't in there, but they were were hand and foot, one and one. Um, Part of Lake's military record was also withheld. Now, Leonard Lake's wife, that hoe, who got immunity, she... Uh, cooperated with investigators after she got that immunity from prosecution. Now, court records stated that Belaz turned over weapons and other materials to authorities during the investigation. They actually called her a key witness. Ing's lawyer, William Kelly, fucking this, this dude, dismissed her without asking her any questions. So she came up there and testified for the prosecution and Ing's lawyer was like nah, not only, not only did, he, did he dismiss her without asking any questions she was on the witness stand for like three or four minutes as Kelly basically just read sections of her immunity agreement and then he dismissed her. And I don't blame him. I, I see what I think what he was trying to do there was I believe she was involved she turned over a lot of evidence. Remember, she removed those twelve tapes. She had the wallpaper. She would. She most likely took those pictures of those twenty-one girls that were on uh, on the th- on the wall. It was her parents' cabin. She was in these these some of these videos talking about underage um, people and wanted to do some sexual things to them. I really believe she was involved. I think. Those 12 tapes, if you remember from part one, that she, that Leonard Lake's mom is the one who told the police that she had taken 12 tapes. When they asked her about them, she get, handed over 12 tapes of her and Leonard Lake having sex, which she said the reason why she went to that cabin to begin with before investigators got there. But I still believe that she removed different tapes that showed more torture and killings of upwards of 25 to 50 victims 25 to 50 guys they think 25 people were killed there some reports think it could have been up to 50 think about that so despite all this video evidence you know all the even the tape the tapes uh leonard lake talking about how he wants to make all these bonkers and keep these sex slaves and all this shit. Despite all this video evidence and information in Lake's voluminous diaries, the defense countered claiming that Ying was basically an unwilling accomplice to the more dangerous and demented Lake who was responsible for the murders while Ying merely participated in some of the sexual offenses. Here's his defense. I didn't kill any of the people. But, you know, I did rape the girls with him. Come on, come on, guy. Towards the end, Ying even damaged his own case when he insisted, because he's smarter than everybody, on taking the witness stand, a move which allowed prosecutors then to present uh, present some additional uh, evidence, including a picture of Ying in his cell showing the incriminating cartoons behind him on the wall next to a motto, which read, crazy, listen to this, so this dude has this fucking motto, no kill, no thrill, no gun, no fun, with these cartoons that detail some of these killings in the Wisleyville compound. Now, he actually used to say this same thing as like a little work time chant when he used to work. People said that he used to say this. And it was a little bit more, it was a little bit more than just no kill, no thrill, no gun, no fun. And the whole chant was, no gun, no fun, no kill, no thrill. Daddy dies, mommy cries, baby fries. So think about how crazy that is because they kill two families like that, where the daddy dies, the mommy cries, they torture the mom, and the baby fries. And I don't want to. I don't want to speculate on what baby fries means. I'm hoping they just wanted it to rhyme, and I hope it was. It doesn't mean something different, you know, like something worse. I hope they. I hope it was quick for these poor babies. It's sickening. So finally, in February, nineteen ninety-nine. Fourteen years since that lumberyard shoplifting brought them down. The trial lasting eight long months was finished and the jury retired to consider a verdict. And it only took them a couple hours, guys. That's how much evidence was against this dude. They found Charles Cheetah Ng guilty of the murder of six men, three women, and two baby boys. The Dubs family, Harvey Dubs, Deborah Dubs, and Sean Dubs. The Bond family, Lonnie Bond, Brenda O'Connor, and Lonnie Bond Jr., Kathy Allen, Michael Carroll, Robin Scott Stapley, Randy Johnson, Charles Gunner, and Donald Lake, Lake's younger brother. Ironically enough, the charge of murdering that seventh man, remember it was seven men on the original charge, Paul Cosner, whose car actually at the scene of that attempted shoplifting is what actually started this entire case, was the only count he wasn't found guilty on. And I believe that charge was actually dropped during the trial due to lack of evidence of Ings' involvement. So they couldn't really place Ings' involvement at all on that that murder, so they dismissed it. Judge Ryan then followed the jury's recommendation and imposed a sentence of death. The presiding judge rejected a motion to reduce the jury's death verdict, stating Mr. Ng was not under any duress, nor does the evidence support that he was under the domination of Leonard Lake. Ng's prosecution caught the state of California approximately $20 million. At the time, the most expensive trial in the state's history. As of this recording, official California Department of Correction and Rehabilitation records show Charles Ng, CDCR inmate P46001, still waits on death row at San Quentin State Prison. No executions have taken place on California's death row since 2006, meaning Charles Ng will probably never be put to death for his horrendous crimes but instead will spend his life sucking the taxpayer's teeth as he sits on death row. But while Ng and people like him make a mockery of the American legal system, the question remains, what made them do it? What possessed them to kidnap, rape and torture their innocent victims, including friends, and family. One suggestion is that Lake and Ng were already capable of such crimes as individuals, but it wasn't until they met that they began to fuel each other's sadosexual desires to inflict pain and death on others. The situation may be an example of what criminal psychologists call Gestalt, where the organized whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Whatever their motivations were, one clear fact remains. A court of law deemed that Charles Ng and Leonard Lake were jointly responsible for some of the most brutal and sadistic crimes in the annals of criminal history. And no, I didn't say annals. I said annals. It's two Ansborough. bruh. Learn something. And I hope you learn something here on Chromatic Distortion. And that's going to end this Serial Killer edition of Leonard Lake and Charles Ng. I hope you enjoyed it. Feel free to leave me some messages on social media. And like always, be good to each other, guys. And I'll catch you on the flip side. You have just witnessed the lyrical stylistics of chromatic distortion.